Welcome to Insights for Manufacturing, the podcast that supports the UK manufacturing sector. Hosted by Jeff Beecham, the manufacturer's recruiter. Hello and welcome to Insights for Manufacturing. Today we're discussing subcontracting and contract manufacturing and I'm delighted to welcome my guest today, Andy Sanford, who's the editor of Engineering Capacity. Welcome, Andy. How are you? Very well, thank you, Jeff. Good to, good to be here. I must say it's a bit strange being asked the questions rather than asking them myself, but I'll, I'll see how I get on. Absolutely. And, and maybe offline after the recording, you can give me some marks out of 10 on, on how I've uh, <laughs> oh, conducted sure. myself. <laughs> Well, it's great to have you on the show. Um, well, let, let's start off with some some positive vibes straight off the bat, Andy. What, what, in your opinion, are some of the biggest opportunities right now for UK subcontract engineering? It's almost sort of counterintuitive. The opportunities for subcontractors are risk, volatility, difficulty in the market, uncertainty. So if you're going to a, a skilled manufacturing expert, subcontractor, you don't need to worry about things like, um, well, I need to invest in this new equipment because he's got it or she's yeah. got it. They've got it. Uh, do I need to take on new staff? No, because they've already got it. Um, do I do I have to worry about this new product to get started? No, because they can probably take me through it. I don't need to invest too much of my time risking it when they can de-risk it. So that said, any kind of opportunity for the subcontractor is obviously a problem for someone else. And at the moment, we've got things like well, I don't need to list all the damn things. We've got we've got fuel prices, we've got inflation, we've got Ukraine, we've got trying to find new foreign trade markets. Uh, I'm sure there's more. Oh, all, all the usual ones as well, like climate change and plague, pestilence, COVID. So yeah. in the last couple of years, I think it's really been almost like there's two two parallel universes. Whilst the, the mainstream manufacturing world has been trying to work out what to do next, they've been thinking, I don't know what to do, I'll go to subcontractors. And subcontractors, by and large, have been doing really well. I mean, not, yeah. not really well, but they, they've been coping very well. They've been flexible. They've adapted. Okay, they've had to do things like furlough staff, but they've still kept on investing, still kept on serving their customers. And particularly as people realise that those supply chain um, deficits dealing with people in the Far East, like, or with freights, costs suddenly go through the roof, having someone down on your doorstep you can talk to who's actually on your side, isn't just a supplier, that makes a hell of a lot of difference. So yeah. uh, that, that's one lot of opportunities. The other is, of course, all, all the new technology that these difficulties are bringing, like sustainability, electric vehicles, new sorts of energy, new medical opportunities. So there's lots of things coming through in terms of light weighting, um, additive manufacturing, um, integrated component design, digital manufacturing automation. They're all coming through and they're going to feed into building on these advantages for people to go to subcontractors. Absolutely. So it's sort of, uh, as I often say, you know, glass half full um, rather than half empty. And what, would it be a fair comment to say that subcontract manufacturing or, or engineering, generally these these businesses are, you know, I think typically a lot more agile than, than yes, some of the larger OEMs? Yeah, they're often family businesses, they're often small businesses, they're sort of the lower end of SMEs, quite a lot of them. Um, they've got quite a lot of money tied up in capital equipment, so they've got to make sure it works for them. And it's really very much a keeping that spindle turning, um, making sure that your costs 
are lower than your incomes. Yeah. Um, and balancing all that, that's a very clever balancing act to do. And that's how they do it because they're experts at production efficiency. So I think that is the thing. They are nimble and they could, I mean, okay, so there are some bigger companies and they've, they've basically taken that small company ethos and grown it. So there's some very big subcontractors. I mean, you could go as far as saying people like Porsche Martins as a subcontractor. Yeah. Um, but it's, 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 you, if, you, if you talk to a subcontract shop manager, MD, they'll say, well, you never know what the next job is. You can look at the machines, you see they're full this week, they're done about next week. Uh, some companies, it is really that tight. You don't know what next week's work is. Yeah. So, yes, they have to be agile. And that, that dynamic is just their, their natural habitat. You know, it's it's the norm, yeah. isn't it? Which, uh, which, which does create great opportunity mm -hmm. for businesses that are, that are looking to go down the subcontract route. Yeah. Okay. So, what what's the current state of the OEM subcontractor relationship these days, Andy? You, you're well connected. You, mm. you know, this is your backyard, if you like. You know, a lot of these businesses and and uh, and leaders within subcontract um, uh, businesses. Has there been a shift towards a what I would class as a true partnership approach, or do the SMEs predominantly still get the dirty end of the stick? Well. They they make a profession of taking the dirty end of the stick, but I think uh, <laughs> the thing is that people don't want to do or can't do. But I think that that whole um, cost down, cost down, cost down thing is, is is almost proving to be a thing of the past. So there's certainly parts of the automotive industry certainly where that's still the case, um, and you've still got quite a lot of big buyers, banks, and buyers buying on. They've got a list of things: delivery cost. Uh, quality and they've got to just tick those boxes and they're not really building relationships but that's very much of the decline particularly in these past few years where you've become such more so much more reliant on your subcontractor being a partner mm. and you want someone that will go the extra mile for you um and you, you if you're talking about bringing new products to market you 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 don't your design engineers in a big oem they don't know how to make things um they know how to design things beautifully um and if you haven't got the in-house production engineering skills well, these companies haven't got any and you're going to outsource these parts you might find that your part is completely unsuitable yeah. and if you just go to china and say can you make six million of these they'll say sure the price is this but if you went to a guy in the west midlands you say well this is a strange thing to be making why have you got one mic on tolerance on this hole what's it for oh it's just screw goes through there well do you need one mic on no but you need the hole no well, you can save yourself 90% of the cost. So these are the yeah. sort of questions that people don't actually ask. But can we actually make this part? If it's a sheet metal part, will the bits all fold together in the right order? I mean, is it a sensible thing to be doing? So if you talk to your suppliers, your subcontractors, they know what they're doing. They know how to make things. Well, they can tell you how to do that. So I think you, if you've got any sense, your supplier will be a partner. Um, some companies don't want to do that. They want to keep an arm's length. Yeah. Um, but I think it's becoming more and more prevalent that your supplier is a partner. Machine tool sector as well. I mean, if the machine tool companies supplying these subcontractors very much want to be partners with them so they're good partners with their customers. And you, you can get some links around that so that if a, if a customer is coming in on a new project, they, the subcontractor will know they've got to invest in your kit. They'll talk to the machine tool supplier and they'll, they'll all get together to work out, well, if you make it this way and you buy this machine, the result for you will be better and I'll make some money too. So it, it's really talking to each other that's the key thing. Yeah. 
So that that uh, that classic word collaboration comes in again. Uh, it's something that I love talking about, but there's a great yeah. example of how it works within uh, manufacturing and engineering. So, and that really brings us on to uh, my next question. Actually, you you alluded to um, you know some of the uh, the low cost country uh, supply. There's a lot of reshoring going on currently, which is great. Um, but it also seems at the same time that um, that there's a rise in outsourcing of certain processes or, or projects to local subcontract mm. businesses in the UK as well. Yeah. I know we spoke the other week um, when, when we first uh, discussed this this podcast uh, about Tony Haig and, uh, yeah. and his business, PP Control and Automation, um, who are doing some fantastic work uh, through being an outsourcing partner for UK manufacturers. So what are the advantages for, for UK manufacturers to outsource to uk-based subcontractors when they may have they may have their own in-house facilities themselves but sometimes if you've got your in-house facilities then it may well be that that's your core competence that's what you're good at doing and that's what you'll carry on doing and you'll probably only turn to looking at subcontractors when you've got capacity issues which is a very valid reason for using a subcontractor we mustn't forget that uh, magazine engineering capacity dates back to the days when subcontracting was all about extra capacity if you hadn't got enough machine space, you went somewhere else you had. Um, but that, that's in the olden time. So that is still a very good reason to outsource to subcontract. Um, but then as technology moves on, I mean, my own, my initial background was in sheet metal manufacturing on the first magazine I edited. And in those days, you go to the big Eurobeck exhibition and you couldn't hear anything because the sound of all the punching machines bashing down. It's like a cacophonous, cacophonous sound. Yeah. Then about... Oh, I guess about 10 years ago, suddenly there was no sound because everyone was using lasers. And then, it, then five, six years ago, all the big old CO2 lasers with their chillers and their, their air pumps, they've all gone. And these little fiber lasers everywhere, cutting all sorts of things very quickly. So I think that if, you're, if you've got a 10-year-old laser as part of your in-house manufacturing, you're losing money every time you cut something. Yeah. Um, so if you can go to a guy who just bought the new latest... I'm not going to mention which suppliers, but the latest um, fiber laser um, CNC with integrated software, you're instantly going to be saving energy, saving money, making more, doubling what you can make. Yeah. And also being able to do things, cut thicker materials, cut better quality. So if you've got old machinery, even though you maybe have everything you need to make what you want, you might, be, you might find you can do it better by looking to an outside supplier. Um, and then again, you've got to decide, is it worth investing in my new business? Sorry, is it invest, investing in new kit in my business, particularly in times of, of uncertainty, when I know there's five, ten people out there who could do it for me, who've got the kit, and they can run their machine 24 hours a day. They yep. have automation on it. <clears throat> I, I can run one shift, and the other two shifts, it's just capital depreciation going on. So if you, even if you have got your own equipment in-house, and even if it is your core competence, you might always be thinking about, well, what's the next step? What's the next step? Yeah, absolutely. Making the same products all the time. So you're bringing new products and they'll make, maybe need different considerations how you make things. You might be wanting to do different sort of surface coatings. You might want to do different approaches. You might not, not want to weld something together. You might want to get a five-axis machining centre to, to cut it out in one piece. Again, you've got to make a decision. Do I make that change to my own production uh, strategy by buying stuff in-house? Or I go to someone else who's already bought the machine, read the manual, now to use it, 
who's making profit using it and will share that with me. So again, it's another good reason for going outside the company. Yeah. When you talk about Tony, uh, um, PPCNA. Um, they, they, they call themselves strategic outsourcing specialists. And although they're a good company, they're not the only one. There's quite a lot of them. It's not a new thing that's been going on for quite a long time. But talking with, to someone like Tony, and there's lots of others who, because of NDAs, you can't even talk about, you'll, you'll get from experience from the ground up. They'll be making these things or similar things. They know how about integrating the cabinet with the wiring, with the painting, with the outside treatments. They know about project management. So you're not doing it from scratch. You're not trying to go to, oh, I'm going to buy my metal over there. I'll get it cut by this guy here. I'll make it to an enclosure there. Oh, I better get the racking sorted out by somebody. Now I need to make the harnesses. If you go to an expert who's already doing it, yeah. they know what sort of things to think of. They'll ask you the question. And I, I guess, I mean, over the last sort of 18 months to two years during the pandemic, I know we've had um, the super deduction, uh, which is, you know, hopefully helped lots of businesses.